0: Mackling, McNabb. Wednesday morning, it is the start on 680 CJOB. Brett McGarry returns next Monday. And Loren, the smoke as it was yesterday morning at this time is very, very... What's the word I'm looking for? Evident? Prevalent. Prevalent. Evident, that is, I don't know what... Prevalent is exactly the word I was looking for.
1: It's when I left the building yesterday, we had been talking about it all morning, but we wasn't noticing it beyond the haze on the 30th floor at Portage of Maine, but then you get downstairs and it's, you could taste it. It you, was thick.
0: You didn't even have to leave the building. Once
1: you started getting down to ground level, you knew that there was an issue
0: because of the elevator shaft, right? It's all fresh air through. The, you could smell the smoke in the lobby here at 201 Portage. Oh,
1: for sure. And then when you get in, and it was crazy how different parts of the city, because I was running some errands yesterday, where it was different, you know, you would smell it or not even notice it. And by the time I got home, because I'm south of Winnipeg, it wasn't super noticeable, but then I stepped outside this morning, garage door goes up and I thought, there we go again. So we're working to bring on Environment Canada to talk about the smoke that's in the forecast, the haze that's out there. And the fact that events like the horse racing, as Sarah was saying in the news run at Assiniboine Downs, they had to cancel it last night. And that would be for, I'm going to guess, both people and the horses themselves. So, you know, running and doing any activity and that kind of air quality is not, not great.
0: Our uh, good friend, Gary, who texts us every morning, when he's out on his walk, he sends us pictures of his walk uh, outside of the city of Winnipeg. And he says, good morning, Smarters. That's what he calls us. Way too smoky for walking today. This was last night. And this morning is worse as it starts to move. So we've got to call out to Environment Canada to find out how much smoke we can expect, how much longer this is anticipated to linger. Because as I watch Drew stremick deliver his Weather forecast on Global News Morning right now, the entirety of Manitoba, save for the very southwest corner, is under that uh, that air quality advisory. So uh, no matter where you are, you're going to be seeing this, you're going to be smelling it today.
1: And this is how we're being impacted here in Manitoba. But another part of the conversation when it comes to fires that we want to have later this morning is just how you are prepared for someone to knock on your door and say it's time to get out And because we have, I think it's 200 fires burning in Northwest territories, there's mass evacuations underway there. The military called in because in some cases the only road in and out isn't part of the plan anymore. It's not accessible. And so we know that's a situation for many Northern Manitoba communities. And I think probably in the back of all our minds, we've thought, what would we do if, but really how prepared are you, you know, for any sort of emergency like that, whether it's fire or torrential rains or tornado to deal with it in a in that moment. And then more than that, I want to ask, like, what is our expectation of our officials to, to prepare us for those things and be the ones that are telling us to get out? Because we all have our phones these days and every story I watched out of Northwest territories and Hawaii where devastating wildfire. The death hole now well over 100. Everyone's trying to find information and they can't, there's no electricity to charge their phone and there's no cell service potentially, but that's all we we've come used to to rely on for the most crucial of information.
0: And, you know, you mentioned Hawaii. I mean, do you remember several years ago when they got the alert that there had, like of a missile, a pending missile attack on Hawaii? So on one hand, they get this misinformation through the emergency services that that put that that entire population into a little bit of a panic mode for several minutes several years ago. And then when they really needed it, It wasn't available because of our reliance on technology. What's that saying about technology? It's wonderful until it's not. And so these things work well, but when they stop working, it can really grind things to a halt. So what are some of the other things we need to think about? I referenced my sister's situation up in Hay River yesterday. I had a little more communication with her uh, yesterday afternoon. And she said, you know, if we hadn't got gas when we did... We might have got stuck on that highway. Mm-hmm. And there were lineups at the gas stations in town. It just so happened where my sister's husband works, they have machinery so he's able to get gas for his truck. Otherwise, like within an hour of them leaving town, the fire jumped the highway and then the only way out was by military aircraft. Like just just the different things that have to fall in place. In order for you to complete that evacuation successfully. And they're probably some of them things that aren't even on our radar.
1: And these events can be big like a wildfire that moves so quickly or big like a winter storm that we had a few years ago, right? Where suddenly power was out in tens of thousands of homes across the province and you're not necessarily needing to flee but you rely on your phone. Well, now you can't charge it. Now you can't phone anybody. Now you can't get the information. You hop in your car. Your car's on E. And I'm telling you right now, mine would be or have an eighth of a tank. I need to get somewhere. The gas station has no power. Can't give you gas. Like, there's mm-hmm. all these little things. It may not be emergency get out in that moment. But just how prepared are we? So we'll have those chats at 637. Let us know if you even have a plan in your home for sort of any eventuality. I bet most of us don't. And then another conversation we're going to have at seven, I think three days in a row now, Greg, we've had listeners call in or text in asking questions. And one of the questions that was asked this week is about political ads. They've been airing for months now. And one of the listeners once wanted to know what's the line between misinformation and a lie. And yeah, we get attack ads have been going on for years, but are you able to cut through the rhetoric? And we're going to talk to someone after seven about, well, what is actually allowed in terms of what, Political parties are allowed to say they all do it. They all attack. They all throw the accusations out. I get that. But where's the line in terms of, wait a minute,
0: where's your proof of that? Yet not only that, we have had listeners saying, is that even legal for certain people to say this or certain people to say that? Uh, Seeing things on social media about an announcement that was made by a candidate in this election with regard to funding of a community project. This person, not, not even an MLA running on behalf of the sitting government. I'm keeping names out of it. If you want to investigate it, you can, I'm not going to slander anybody, but I'm just going to say this is a concern for many people about where is the line with certain things because I firmly believe the lines have been blurred. Uh, a lot of people spending a lot of money on, on lawyers to figure out where is the line so that we can get as close to it as possible. So we'll discuss the lines, crossing the lines, legalities, uh, ethics in political advertising, that and much else this morning, including AI. What are we going to talk about? In- You have it here in quotation marks, incautiously optimistic about AI. Are you trying to tell me there is a good aspect of AI or is that getting lost right now? I
1: think what's being lost is the fact that there's a group that's saying, we're talking about it all the time. Most people are really excited about all the things it can bring to your life. Do you even understand the risks? Do you know the rewards? And they actually think that many of us need to do a literacy course, like a crash course in what AI is, how to understand it, how to navigate it so that you're better prepared because it's not just coming, it's here.
0: We're 30 floors high above Portage and Main, 201 Portage, 680 CJOB. It is the start. Greg Mackling, Loren McNabb. We have Sarah McCarthy, Cameron Poitras, and Jeffrey Forche in Master Control joining us for this segment. We call it having coffee talking. I don't know how often we say that openly on the air, but that's what we call it internally. We're just sitting around having a little chat about an opportunity. None of you
1: drink coffee, I don't think. No, I do. Cam, you do. do? Sarah does too. Okay, because I'm I'm having water now. Brett and Greg do not sit here; they have tea or water. Or Jay doesn't
0: drink coffee either. Do you like coffee, tea,
2: or me?
1: Or we could turn the conversation, away. <laughs> but yes, this is our segment where we have some fun, but also uh give away some prizes eventually, Gregs so that's we have, right at choice of crash test dummies or a little mermaid tickets to Rainbow stage that starts tomorrow night. And the question we asked this morning it comes from a moment I had a few days ago where I reached into the pantry and there was that open gaping bag of crackers just staring at me. So, first of all, you'd think, like, roll up the bag or put the clip on to keep them fresh. But more than that, there was one and a half crackers left in that bag. Mm -hmm. Like, someone thought to put it back on the shelf. Mm -hmm. Why not just finish it? Finish the bag! Throw it out!
0: Don't leave it up to me! Somebody else might want that half (laughs) a cracker. It's
1: like they were... Whoever did it, which I actually think wasn't the kids, thought... It's very
0: considerate to think that you might want the last cracker. I shouldn't
1: eat all of it. But it was open. It was, like, taunting me. So, we wanted to ask, Greg...
0: Yeah, what is the thing that drives you nuts? Either, you know, if you live alone, maybe it was when you were younger and maybe you've had roommates or maybe it was your siblings or maybe it was your parents that drove you crazy. I had this video. I'm going to play the audio right now. I had this video sent to me at least twice Last week. It's from Meredith Masony on Facebook. I have no idea who this person is, but she's channeling my parenting, my feelings, my outrage at least three times a week.
3: If you go to bed and your kitchen is clean, and then you wake up in the morning and your kitchen looks like this, Why? <laughs> it's looks like probably a bunch teenagers. Yeah. And they were probably up until four or five in the morning, and then they probably came out and had ice cream and popcorn and pancakes and Pringles and cup of noodle soup and, and left all the dishes. And then you want to start your day by going into their rooms and screaming at them. And then they're going to look at you and say, why are you so mad? Why are you a lunatic?
0: This woman clearly has been has been watching the uh, surveillance footage of the cameras in my house because it's exactly what happens in my house at least twice a week. Poitras. Well, first of all, shame on both of
2: you for coming up with this topic and trying to set me up. Uh, I'm not taking the bait. (laughs) She's not listening. Yes, she is. She's listening intently.
0: And shame on both of you for trying to do this to Come me. On. Turn the spotlight on you yourself then, Poitras. You go back in the past when you had a different roommate or your brother. Come on. Listen, I'm the problem. Everything that I do is my fault. <laughs> I bring crumbs around the house. Good. I leave things in the sink on occasion. Mm. Uh, I have various uh, uh, gaseous uh, things uh, emitting from my body. Uh That, you know, you could probably figure that out. So, listen, I'm the problem. My (laughs) wife is absolutely perfect. I'm not going down this road. I really, really hope that I'm in a position to have this discussion with you on air 12 years from now. (laughs) (laughs) And see how different the discussion goes. What about you, Sarah McCarthy? Mine
4: has to do with food as well. Because back when I had roommates, like, we would all, we would share, like, the milk. We would share... Uh, just condiments, like the typical stuff you would be okay with sharing. But then otherwise, we would mostly all buy our own food, except for the case, like if we're going to all cook something together, for example. So I come back from a night out. I'm hoping to have these pizza pops that I have in the freezer that I've specifically left for this reason. I come back and on the counter, the empty cardboard box, and I was very upset. Did you wake them up? You, no, I was I was too nice. I didn't wake them up. I was just like, okay, guess I'm gonna order something. But stealing roommates' food, stealing. Just, well, it was mine. It was You would
1: have hated mine. living with me. It
0: <laughs> <laughs> work.
4: It happened. It happened. Uh, <laughs> somebody
1: stole my pizza Pops <laughs> here. <we> here.
4: <laughs> so yes, I've never forgotten pizza pop gate. That's right. We even
0: we even went to the video film. Went to the video footage for that to solve that <laughs> mystery. Did, was That was your Pizza Pops or was that TFJ's Pizza Pops?
2: Oh, it happened to both of us. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but we found the culprit, didn't we?
2: Well, for Tristan's, I still don't know who stole mine. Mm. Mm. Sorry,
0: Jeff. The, pro- the plot thickens. <laughs> Is that it? Is that where we're going? Oh, with mine? Yeah. No. Okay, like, go. Like
1: when I was living at home with my parents, my family, like I was the messy one. Like as a teenager, I was completely messy, so I feel bad for calling out anyone in the household, but uh for me, it was the cutlery. The cutlery, like when you put the cutler- cutlery away after it's clean, like you know, the little spoons with the little spoons, the big spoons with the big spoons, the little forks, the little forks, big forks it would all be messed up, and it would drive me crazy to the point one night I was just like, ah, screw it. And so I just messed it all up, and I was like, you all figure it out, dang it. Like the rest of them weren't putting it in the drawer properly?
0: Yeah, like there'd be the little spoons with the big spoons <laughs> and the big forks, the little forks. It that is just, irritating. Yeah, yeah, it would
1: drive me crazy. It's how I feel about cupboards, like, or the pantry, where I have, you know, the baked good stuff, you know, the flour and the sugars all cooked together, and the soups and the canned goods. And then the cleaning products are up high, and the cereals down low, and the rest of my family thinks like bleach should hang out with chips, and chocolate should be mixed with vinegar. Like none of it, none of it, like none of the shelves ever make sense, and that that drives me nuts.
0: Compartmentalization. That's
1: not the baking shelf.
0: Yeah, that's not just a psychological thing. Something's gross about.
1: I don't know why. Like if it's a cleaning item next to, I just don't. Oh yeah, is that wrong?
0: No, you're one hundred percent right. Certain things are. Your
1: wife wouldn't do that. Never. No.
2: Mm -hmm. I'll tell you guys off as soon as the off air we'll have a conversation
0: (laughs) do not take the Cameron Poitras stance or you cannot win tickets to see (laughs) it's because I'm a a coward uh, the coward honest truthful pick your superlative 680 CJOB it is the start Mackling McNabb McGarry returns on Monday There are just 48 days until Manitobans head to the polls, and as we inch closer to that fall election, you can bet the promises and complaints about what each party has done or has not done, what they will do or what they will not do, will only ramp up.
3: As a career conservative and Pallister's deputy, Stephenson cut health care and plunged us into crisis.
1: So that's just one example of an attack ad that's been playing on Manitoba airwaves or on various social media feeds for months now. And when ads like that run, I'm sure there are some of you that you don't even hear them. You might ignore them. Maybe you roll your eyes depending on how you feel about what's being said. Or perhaps some of you buy into the words.
3: The NDP will hike the PST to 10% if elected this time.
1: So all parties play this game. But yesterday, after one of these ads aired, and it might have just been that one we played there about the accusation of the PST going up, one of our listeners texted with the question, how are some of these allowed? You know, like what's the line between misinformation or a baseless accusation? So that's where we're turning now this morning. Duff Conacher is the co-founder of Democracy Watch. And we say good morning to Duff. How's it going? Well, how are you? I'm good. And, and I think, you know, in so many ways, We've been dealing with this for years. It's not new to have these types of ads. It's not new for accusations to be made. But in this age of misinformation, people are asking, what are the rules? Are there rules around what is allowed to be shared or spread in an ad?
5: Yes. And um, there actually is a place you can go and file complaints. And the big question is whether that place, uh, Elections uh, Manitoba, will actually do uh, what it should do and find um, a candidate or a party guilty if they mislead voters. Because it is prohibited in the uh, Manitoba elections law.
1: How do you decide where the line is, though, right? Because, you know, say, for example, with that PST ad, the defense from the PCs in the last few months has been like, well, they did, you know, the NDP did raise the taxes from seven to eight percent, you know, nine, ten years ago, whatever that date of that last election was. And so it has happened before. So it could happen again. So there's the could happen versus will happen. I mean, how how is that line decided? Because it is kind of a gray area, Duff.
5: Well, it should say could happen again, not will happen again. And that's a very different thing. Um, and so that's that's the key is is to uh, to uh, clean all of this up by making uh, the parties and the candidates make definite statements and not just be uh, trying to um, suggest something that is not true. And it applies to promises as well. Um, it is illegal under the elections law to induce a voter uh, with a a false claim to vote for a candidate or a party. So that's a pretty clear line. Um, And unfortunately, we have this uh, rule at the federal level as well, and the Commissioner of Canada Elections uh, refused to enforce it when Democracy Watch complained about uh, Prime Minister Trudeau misleading voters with his promise to uh, change the voting system. He made a very clear promise, he said it about 2,000 times during the election campaign and pre-election period, that uh, the election in 2015 would be the last election held under the current voting system. And then he didn't uh, change the voting system after. So it was a very clear promise and you know, we, there was evidence that it, it did induce voters to uh, vote for the Liberals in 2015. And just so you're, uh, we're clear, uh, when a law says that you uh, you can't do something, it also means you can't attempt to do something. So even if you didn't have proof that it changed a voter's vote, you, you can't even attempt to try to change a voter's vote by making a false claim. So uh, there's also another rule that says um, you can't make a false statement about a candidate's character. And, you know, there are facts in the world. And that's really what uh, these watchdogs, the election agencies across the country, because this rule exists in in most election laws across the country. uh, They really need to be starting to stand up for truth. And when it's a blatant lie, finding people guilty.
0: Duff Conacher, co-founder of Democracy Watch. And, and Duff, so often we will hear during a campaign or in the lead up to a campaign, oh, we're, we're going to run on positivity. We're not going to go down this road. We're, we don't want to be negative in our campaigning. But ultimately, it seems to go there every single time. My sense is they go that way every single time because for whatever reason, it seems to work.
5: Yeah, it it does. Um, And there's nothing wrong with pointing out uh, problems with the the policy statements or the actions, you know, unethical actions, uh, misleading, excessive secrecy, uh, other undemocratic moves by uh, uh, parties uh, in the past, uh, governments, and governments run on their record. Uh, And it does motivate people. um, But what motivates people more. Uh, and this has been shown right back to 1993, so the past uh, 30 years now, is also setting out a program to clean things up. Because swing voters want clean government, because they know they're not going to get good government decisions from bad government processes. And in every election where uh, there have been major promises by a party to clean up politics, make it more honest and ethical and transparent, representative and waste-preventing, Uh, That party has won more seats or won the election. So it's not enough just to complain because everyone's complaining about each other. Um, To really swing voters, you have to set out a positive plan as well. And um, just to mention another uh, place that people can go in Manitoba about misleading ads and statements. In 2000, so 23 years ago, Manitoba's political parties all agreed to a code of ethical conduct. You can find it online and it's self-enforcing the parties are supposed to investigate themselves and sanction themselves if they violate it but it does say that their public statements have to be accurate and avoid statements that are misleading or deceptive um, not do any statements that are defamatory to another member of the legislature a leader and any candidate or another party so um, that's a 23 year old code and you can complain to a party and then I would suggest contact the media if the party does nothing when they've clearly violated that code. And there's a bunch of other rules in there as well for uh, ethical conduct during uh, during, uh, political campaigns, election campaigns. So there's two places people can go to complain about these things.
1: Duff, we Thank you for the information. We'll have to bring you back because as we're listening to, we think, you know, none of this happens enough in real time. All parties do it. And the there's, there's lies that get made, there's promises that get made. And then there's just, you know, words that get used that aren't true, right? Layoffs versus they fired versus whatnot. So Duff, we thank you for the time.
5: Yeah, happy to talk again as the election campaign rolls out.
1: That's Duff Conacher, co-founder of Democracy Watch. How often do you hear something and think, I should complain about that, or just say it's not true, nobody will buy in, don't worry about it.
0: Mackling McNabb with you on this Wednesday morning. CGOB.com, our question of the day. How often do you change your furnace filter? You may have been hearing in our news, Uh, This morning and yesterday, the idea that changing your furnace filter, even in the summertime, is a really good idea. Once a month is the recommended time between changing filters. Uh, Loren, you didn't even realize your furnace had a filter until (laughs) last year, right? A couple of years. I can't remember we were mid-pandemic and
1: talking about the things you're doing in home. I knew it. It's just one of those things the magic man takes care of, you know, where I yell out, do you know about the filter? And he just stares at me. Just like the other day, he said, I'm going to take the car for an oil change. And I said, it just had one. And he just looks at me. How long ago? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) How long ago was it? I can't remember,
0: but it was overdue. It was overdue. It was overdue. Question of the day at cjob.com. How often do you change your furnace filter? Every three months, twice a year, once a year? (laughs) And just for you, McNabb, you're supposed to change that. <laughs> <laughs> How many people are admitting to that? Viewing results here da, 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 4%. You
1: have to. Well, maybe people don't know or they're not willing to admit they don't know.
0: Yeah, that number might be in, in reality higher than that. And also, we want to send you to either The Little Mermaid at Rainbow Stage or to see Crash Test Dummies De- December 21st at Club Region Event Center celebrating uh, Christmas. What's the contest, Loren? What are we doing? What are we asking?
1: We're asking the one thing you can't stand that others in your house do. So maybe it's the people you live with. Maybe it's your roommate. Maybe it's your kids. Or maybe it was something when you were growing up. That little thing that just irked you.
0: Or as is a common uh, place where I live.
3: If you go to bed and your kitchen is clean, and then you wake up in the morning and your kitchen looks like this. You probably own teenagers.
0: Yeah, it's a disaster area. 204-780-6868. Your feedback on political ads as well. But we start this half hour with artificial intelligence. It's already being used to analyze data, write reports, answer questions, run assembly lines. AI has been part of our world for years, but a new survey shows Canadians are so caught up Playing with AI tools, they aren't pausing to consider the possible risks or, Loren, the rewards.
1: And I was fascinated by this because this comes out of a report that was done by the Canadian Institute for Advanced Research. And despite all the headlines we've seen in recent years and recent months about, you know, is like AI going to become the next Terminator kind of thing? Are we in the middle of a movie scene? This research group found positive conversation around AI Doubled any negative talk, and they think all of us perhaps need a crash course, a literacy course in artificial intelligence. Alyssa Strom is the executive director for the Pan Canadian AI Strategy for the Institute, and joins us now. Good morning, Alyssa. Good morning, Lauren. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for taking the time. I'm I'm curious. What did you go looking for in this study? Like, what was the impetus for it?
6: Well, in particular, since the launch of ChatGPT late last year, we knew that um, everyday Canadians were really starting to use AI and get their hands on it um, and start to play around with its capabilities. But we wanted to understand a little bit more how they felt about it. There's been a lot of debate um, in policy circles and in academic circles about the risks and the opportunities of AI, but we were curious to understand what Canadians thought.
0: And what are Canadians thinking, Alyssa? I think there's a lot of trepidation when it comes to AI. I think I'm going to speak for parents here. My kids are in high school still. And I think one of the things that worries parents most is the idea of kids not thinking for themselves, depending on technology too much. And I think they do that already too much.
6: Right. Uh, that's That's a pretty common concern. And I think what we found actually in our study was that Canadians are really excited about the new tools of AI and what it can offer to them. Um, And less concerned, really, about the risks and and not really thinking through some of those, um, you know, the downsides of it. And so that's why we wanted to really get out there and let everybody know about this new course that we launched called Destination AI. It's an online course free for all Canadians in both French and English. You can uh, sign up for it at cfar.ca slash destinationai. And it's a great opportunity to learn more about this new technology and get a better understanding about absolutely where it can be used for positive effect, but also what are the, the considerations that we need to think about as it becomes more prevalent in our everyday lives?
1: I was gonna ask how you how what goes into a course like this in terms of how you come up with it, but also was AI used to create this course because so many things that we do in terms of what we write, Alyssa, or even programs themselves, are now being generated by artificial intelligence
6: and not by the person themselves. What a great question. Um, I, th- I think I can f- confirm with, with pretty high confidence that the course was actually developed by humans. Um, of course, there were um, examples, for instance, where AI was used to demonstrate how it can be used around uh, generative models, around chat GPT types of applications, but um, I know the people who developed the course. We partnered with colleagues in France uh, who developed this course for a French audience a couple of years ago and when we learned about it we thought what a great opportunity to bring this learning uh, opportunity to Canadians uh, to be able to to give them a chance to learn more. It takes about four to five hours to do the course. You do it at your own pace, it's online just like any other uh, online Online course and it's free for everybody to take. And at the end, you get a certificate saying that you've got basic understanding and knowledge about this new technology.
0: All right, Alyssa, I'm going to be the guinea pig here because, on one hand, I am concerned about the idea of the Coles Notes version of everything becoming Coles Notes versions of everything else, and that uh, the basis for understanding and where we start on certain topics. Let's let's take Shakespeare as an example the original work might get diluted and so where we start examining shakespeare might be the cole's notes of the cole's notes but on the flip right. side on the flip side i remember being in school and you know you maybe had two or three books you had the encyclopedia and if you're lucky a couple other books to reference if you were studying shakespeare and the impact and the influence and and the stylings whereas now the opportunities to learn about Shakespeare, if I want to, are endless. I'm, I'm worried about, about those things converging, if that makes sense.
6: Sure. I, I think I understand what you're saying. You know, it's, it's really exciting around these generative AI tools like ChatGPT, the application in education around using the tools for research, just like you've described, right? So synthesizing, you know, this huge body of literature that's out there around Shakespeare and you know the meanings and the history behind his works. Uh, that's where AI can really help take a huge body of, of human knowledge and synthesize it, summarize it into something that's easily digestible.
1: How do we deal with what it might take and summarize and and buy in or believe that what we're be given is the accurate analysis? That it might not come with that bias or yeah. or, or be fair or unfair because it, it's a computer and we're right. we're we're taught to be, we have all the subjective things in our lives that help us analyze things. How do we know it's objective versus the subject? Yeah,
6: absolutely. So these are, you know, some of those critical questions that we really want Canadians to be thinking about as they're engaging with AI tools, really thinking about, can I, can I trust the source? Am I confident that this AI approach is actually built on a data set that is inclusive, that is fair, that is representing all the perspectives that I'm looking to understand, right? So that's the that's the thing about AI, is that it's built on data that humans generate and humans provide. And if we haven't done a good job of including data that represents all the different cases and possibilities that somebody might be interested in learning about, then they're not going to show up in the results. So we're really encouraging people to use those critical thinking skills, and especially you know, for students in high school and in post-secondary education, to use this opportunity to hone those critical analysis and thinking School skills and uh, be able to make a a judgment call about whether or not this is trustworthy information that's coming out of her.
0: Alyssa Strom, Executive Director, Pan-Canadian AI Strategy for the Institute, Canadian Institute for Advanced Research, joining us this morning. Uh, Alyssa, one more time before we let you run, where can people take this course?
6: Awesome. Thanks so much. It's at cfar.ca slash destination AI.
0: And CIFAR is C-I-F-A-R. Alyssa, once again, thank you for this. We look forward to speaking to you in the future and uh, with exactly the same results, right? Not diluted, not boiled down, just a human voice and a human perspective on this, right?
6: That's right. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Mackling, McNabb is the start. Wanted to stop speaking just in time to uh, Michael, here, Michael Bublé, who was, uh, did you see Bublé on stage with the Foo Fighters the other night, 4J? I saw the article, but I didn't see the video. Ah, man. See, like good music knows good music, right? Good performers know good performers. And that's just a prime example Jeff Fortune, yeah. our <laughs> resident Michael Bublé look-alike. Don't you think he looks like Bublé? Um, he looks like so smile, much, right? He's
1: the smile, for sure. And I think when you talk about good performers, no good performers, the sounds don't have to match. It's the tone of who they are, right? It's about saying, I get I get how to ride with you on the song. And the that's why collaborations are so great, because you think, well, I would not have put these two together. How amazing is this?
0: your text messages amazing this morning on a variety of topics 204 780 68 we want to send you to see the little mermaid at rainbow stage opens tomorrow night Pat- patricia here's the contest we're trying to find the things that irk you the things you know within your household that have bothered you now in the past <laughs> If you want to predict the future, you can do that as well. But Patricia taking us way back, something that's been going on for a long time in her house.
1: So they grew up on a farm. Their dad always had a toothpick in his mouth. At 81, even with his false teeth, he had a toothpick in his mouth and always seemed to be my mom and I stepping on the carpet and poking our feet until they bled. Even after many cries for him to throw them out, we found them everywhere. They still live in the home that I grew up in, and it still happens to this day. At 53 years old... Me and my mom just look at one another, roll our eyes, shake our head, because my dad has not changed his toothpick ways. And this is a perfect example, she says, of really not sweating the small stuff. And the pokes on the bottom of our feet are the reminders.
0: Mm, Perspective. Love it immensely. 839. Keep those text messages coming. We're going to share some of your highway texts, in particular the intersection of Highway 5 and Highway 1 at Carberry. But we start this half hour on the ice. You can fight the calendar. All you want, but that ramp up to September and all it brings is already underway, Loren. I feel ill even saying this, but back to school,
1: uh, back to sports, back to activities, registrations are happening now, which is why this ad, which is actually airing on our station, caught our attention.
5: Mom, we're thinking we should join the St. Patel Chill hockey team. Please!
7: Go on.
5: We heard sports can help increase our confidence and self-image. Uh-huh. And think of the friendships we'll make there.
7: Love it. Let's do it.
5: Yay! St. Patel Residents, sign up is now open for St. Patel Minor Hockey Association Chill Team for females of all age groups. And there's also coaching planning for females ages 15 and up. Sign up today at stpatelminorhockey.com.
1: I was fascinated and wanted to know more. Bryn Saunders is the VP of Female Hockey at the St. Vital Minor Hockey Association. Good morning, Bryn. Good morning. I was saying to you uh, when we were exchanging some messages yesterday, I, you know, you don't often hear ads for minor hockey appealing for players, and this one's specifically
7: for females. So what's behind it? What's going on? Well, over, since COVID, we noticed that our female enrollment numbers had dropped. I would almost say significantly between the ages uh, born aged of 2013 and 2012. So we wanted to increase those numbers and bring some awareness back to this, the sport of female hockey. So I got together with a couple of our friends and we made that commercial to uh, increase our numbers again.
1: That's kind of right in my, in my youngest wheelhouse in terms of that ages. Um, so they'd be, you know, say 9, 10, 11. So is it is there? I'm curious, was it sort of in those years where they would have been learning the sport that because they didn't have that advancement, they're choosing not to continue with it. What are you hearing from the players themselves as to the why?
7: Well, my youngest is born in 2014. And because of COVID, we had him out for his first, uh, what would have been Tim bits year because of COVID. So uh, we, we have been hearing a lot from parents that they didn't want their kids in sports because of COVID at the beginning, uh, the younger ones. And... Now we're hoping to bring them back in, and I'm seeing now our numbers slowly increasing uh, with girls coming back who were born in 2012, 2013, um, getting those numbers back up there.
0: Bryn, I noticed uh, with one of my boys in particular, he was just getting good at a sport before the pandemic Uh, Broke. Uh, He was uh, 14 then. He's 17 now, and he doesn't play that sport any longer. So, uh, are we seeing the same trend with boys when it comes to hockey and younger kids in that same age group that that we're discussing this morning?
7: Uh, I I believe the trend is there, but I don't think it's as drastic. Um, But it, it is. The numbers have dropped. Uh, all around, but mostly for the females, I believe.
1: Yeah, I I recall hearing reports. I think we spoke to them a couple of years ago. They're the group for Canadian women in sport. And they talked about how they surveyed people during the pandemic and then odds of a female not returning to that activity versus the boy, was actually higher. And so now we're sort of seeing some of that proof, particularly with your association and and probably with others, I'm going to assume. You might not have the answer for this, Bryn, but I'm curious if cost has come into things at all. Like, you know, when I think about signing my own kids up and I hear from other parents, you're you're doing way more math these days just on the cost of everything. So I wonder if fiscal, the economy has to impact anything.
7: Uh, The cost definitely has an impact. uh, Just an in our daily lives, of groceries, gasoline, sports—it's everywhere, and you—you you have to make your choices and what's best for your family. And um, it's everyone has their struggles, but we in Saint Vital Minor Hockey, we do do our best to keep those costs where we can control them as low as possible.
0: Bryn, there's another currency in life, and that's time. And I think a lot of parents also discovered during the pandemic, that without certain sports, certain activities, they had more time in their lives. We're seeing that trend within the workplace. Do you think that parents are, are maybe a little bit reluctant to give back that time that that they found throughout those, you know, the last two or three years?
7: Uh, that's possible. I, I, I personally love every minute that I spend at the rink, and that's where I fill my bucket. So if I'm spending you know, three, four or five days at the rink, I'm happy there. And I see a lot of parents with the same kind of, uh, I guess, way of thinking or feeling. And we join each other at the rink and it just, that's where I like to be.
1: Yeah, because as much as we like the free time, we miss each other and we miss doing those things. and We missed hanging out and we missed the activity and all the rest. And so before we let you go, if there's a mom or dad or a young girl out there listening right now, how would you appeal to them about why they should consider signing up for hockey, even if they tried it and, you know, moved away? What would you say to them to get them to come back?
7: Uh, sign up and try it. Uh, we Scott Wiley and I, we work together really closely to... Get the girls' interest back into the sports. We have three and three hockey in the spring. Uh, we want them to sign up. We want them to try it. We want them to see how their self confidence and self esteem do increase, in their friendships and its lasting friendships. And we just we want to see more of that. And we want the girls to know that when they try, they can do anything.
0: All right, Saint Vital Chill. How can people reach out, Bryn?
7: Uh, we have a website, Saint Minor Hockey Association Registration is open and. Come check us
0: out. We appreciate you making time for us. Thanks for this and uh, bringing us inside what's going on inside St. Vitale Minor Hockey. Have yourself a fine day. You as well. Thanks for having me. Bryn Saunders, VP of Female Hockey at St. Vitale Minor Hockey. Loren, you know, it's challenging enough when, when kids are 14, 15, 16, keeping them in sport. But now to see the younger kids reluctant to get involved, that that, that hurts my heart a little bit
1: and i think that there was just those those formative years when she mentioned the the years being the 2012 2013 so that's kids that are turning 12 or turning 11. So that means three years ago, they were in those those years where you're just figuring out, you've just finally figured out how to stand on your feet. You're finally using your stick. You're maybe scoring some goals and then that activity was pulled from you. So it's not the early years where you were still learning. It's not the later when you understand how awesome it can be. It's at that actual time where you're like, I don't know if this is any good. Like I just figured I can't even get the puck to move. Same goes with maybe music lessons. I'm curious with music. You know, it's a couple years before you're like, wait a minute, I can play this song. Like, listen to me. But it's every... Everything, every new activity has the pains. It could be six months, it could be two or three years. And when you're when when you remove that ability to get to that next phase, and that time where you suddenly go, ah, oh, I'm figuring this out. This is actually kind of cool. That's where I think it was hard to bring people back, no matter what the activity was.
0: I agree. Because so often it's mom and dad or grandma and grandpa who are pushing, pushing, pushing. Right initially, until a light kind of turns on and says, oh, I might be good at this. I am going to enjoy this. And then that whole idea of self-motivation kicks in. But so often it starts with dragging your kid to I the rink, dragging so your kids to piano lessons, yes. whatever it might be. Because I remember
1: learning ball, volleyball and being like, what is this? And then ended up loving it because the first few years you just were terrified as that ball came over the net. Please don't come towards me. And then you you learn to own it. So now imagine you never learned to own it. And then someone says, aren't you going to go back for this sport this year?
0: No. No. No, thanks. I never
1: got to the point where I thought it was fun. 204-780-6868,
0: your thoughts, and we want to send you to see The Little Mermaid. For years, I lived alone and could keep chocolate bars in the fridge. I could limit myself to one or two rows every evening, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Then my boyfriend moved in, and all of a sudden, my bars were eaten every single day. Solved the problem by hiding them under the vegetables in the drawer. Your pet peeves, the things people around you are doing to uh, make your life uh, more interesting and frustrating all at the same time. just been interacting with our good friend or loyal listener Cindy who lives on the very south end of Lake Manitoba at delta and just sent us a picture about an hour ago or pardon me just a few minutes ago um whitecaps on the lake now earlier this morning just about an hour ago she said right now not a breath of wind i'm wondering if the wind is changing from the south to the north smoke wind both on the agenda for us also some potential precipitation and if that smoke is bothering you it's going to be bothering you for a few more days our quality concerns linger into Thursday and that wind warning that's in effect right now for people on the south shores of Lake Winnipeg and Lake Manitoba whether you live there full-time like Cindy or you've got you know, recreation property, that's going to be a concern, could be on the back of your mind, maybe at the forefront of your mind for the next day or so as well, Loren.
1: Scott Kaler is the president and chief scientist at WeatherLogix. Good morning, Scott. Good morning. Let's start with that smoke. You know, we've had a couple of days of this uh, in a few different months this summer. It seems to be the summer of smoke for us. And of course, the summer of fire for other people in Canada. What's causing it to linger as it is right now and sort of sit so heavy over much of the province?
2: Well, right now what we have are strong northwest winds in the upper parts of the atmosphere, and that's carrying the smoke from those uh, fire areas like the Northwest Territories to the southeast across the rest of the prairies. And it looks like this weather pattern is going to persist for a couple more days before it changes. And so we'll continue to see uh, bits of smoke come down from the north with this uh, upper level pattern.
0: Scott, wind hasn't really necessarily been a topic of conversation this summer, but here we are now, 80-kilometer-per-hour winds. Based on what we're seeing in downtown Winnipeg right now, you might be forgiven for for not believing that that's going to happen. How confident are you we're going to see winds in that area today?
2: Well, my message would be just wait because um, the cold front that's going to help generate these winds has not yet moved through the rest of southern Manitoba. You mentioned that at Lake Manitoba, things are already picking up, and in uh, our Logics app, we allow people to report weather, and we've already seen people in western Manitoba also reporting strong wind gusts. So as that cold front continues to push through, uh, later today the winds will pick up in the rest of southern Manitoba, including uh, the Winnipeg area, and um, we may see uh, the occasional isolated shower or thunderstorm later this afternoon too. And if one of those goes through, it'll uh, probably pull down some of the stronger winds aloft and give us even higher gusts at times.
1: So it could exceed the 80 kilometers, do you think, if that combination, that perfect storm, so, so to speak, occurs?
2: Yeah, that's right. If if you do see a thunderstorm move through uh, later this afternoon, I wouldn't be surprised if winds gust even higher than 80, but it would be just for a brief period of time when the storm is actually overhead.
0: Just a text message from our listener uh, Chris from Carmen, Winds just picked up there. so you can put that on your chart as well if you'd like to do that, Scott. Uh, but, but this is these are interesting times weather wise because we, we've had sort of an interesting summer, right? May and June were so warm and then July was a little bit of a roller coaster ride and that roller coaster is continuing into August, it seems.
2: Yeah, it's been an up-and-down summer. We started out with May and June. We're both the second hottest on record. Then July was colder than normal due to a Hudson Bay low that kept pulling down cold air from the north. And then lately we've seen, I'd say, relatively normal weather with highs mostly in the mid to upper 20s. Now, as we get uh, over the next couple of days, things are going to cool off a bit tomorrow but then warm up quite a bit again on uh, Friday. What, what the weather pattern is doing right now is beginning to build a strong area of high pressure over the central United States, we're going to be right at the top of that area of high pressure. And so what I anticipate is the weather is going to become a little bit more active. We'll see a mix of hot days and slightly cooler days, along with probably more chances for uh, rain and thunderstorms.
1: So when you talk about that heat, Scott, does that mean we might see what BC say saw yesterday with a couple of those couple communities seeing 40 plus temperatures and a real heat wave hovering over there? Or are we just talking sporadic days of heat as we as we see it right now?
2: Right now, it just looks like sporadic days of heat. And, you know, B.C. did get up to 40 degrees in a few of their uh, lower interior valleys. Uh, Manitoba really has a hard time getting to 40 degrees is based on our geography. But certainly temperatures, again, into the 30s uh, occasionally over the next week are probably going to happen. And probably the, the first chance for that would be Friday.
0: 34 I think was the forecast high in Calgary yesterday I don't know if they got there or not but that feels as though it's almost unheard of is it becoming a little bit more common Scott to uh, you know I lived in Alberta for a time uh, plus 30 was uh, something that you didn't see all that often
2: no you're right And Calgary because of its higher elevation it's over 3,000 feet uh, actually getting to 30 there is not very common and I I believe the all-time record high in Calgary is only about 36. So if they got to 34, that's, that's an extreme day for them. And it does seem to be becoming more common, particularly across the far. Not sure
1: if we just lost Scott. Uh, is he still there on the line there, Jeff, or maybe just in a bad sell spot?
0: He's still there, but uh, I think we lost connection.
1: We just can't hear him. So we'll just try to get him back because I had a couple more questions about the air quality. I was curious about how that's assessed because I know coming up on Hal Anderson's show, he's going to speak to the Lung Association just because there are people out there that will really find this difficult. We, of course, had the races canceled at the Downs last night. And whether that's for human or horses or both, we know it was really heavy at times. And so that was a challenge there. And Scott, uh, we got you back now, I understand. Scott Killer with Weather Logics. I did want to ask about air quality in terms of how it's assessed what goes into figuring out i think it's when i last checked it was sitting at a 9 a 9 out of 10 this morning so that means it's really not great how is that all determined
2: so the the air quality index is based on measurements of a bunch of different types of particles and so based on the the measurements in each category of different particulates in the air they come up with an overall index and that index ranges from 1 till i think it cuts off at 11 it can be actually higher than that but when it gets 11 and up, then it's just considered so dangerous that uh, they kind of stop counting. Um, but yeah, they just they convert all of those different uh, particle types into a number. And uh, there are websites. If you Google air quality map, you can actually see sensors across Canada that measure air quality in real time. And so you'll see that when the smoke is in place, those readings will really spike. And then uh, on days with uh, nice clear air the readings will drop significantly.
0: Scott, I don't want to sideswipe you with that. If you don't know, that's fine. But uh, Northwest Territories, the origin of this smoke, are, is there any relief in sight through much Mother Nature's intervention with regard to those fires in the far, far north?
2: Well, actually, uh, Logic does a lot of wildfire forecasting in the neighboring territory of the Yukon. And so we've been watching that weather pretty closely. And the thing about the north is that their falls arrive very early, and so usually by late August, the wildfire seasons in the north are pretty much over. Now, as far as this situation goes, um, because they've had such an extreme summer, the question is going to be twofold. Number one, will they get any early fall rains, which can help to really decrease the fire risk? And then secondly, um, will they start to get much cooler temperatures and higher relative humidities, which also help to snuff out the fires and the pattern up there had been improving uh, for most of the summer they had been seeing a ridge of high pressure which helped to create the conditions for all these fires but I would anticipate that as we go later into August just based on the climate of the region they'll start to see the fires taper off but um, because Yellowknife right now is in such a critical situation um, that would have to happen very quickly to to improve things there so you know my hope is that over the next couple of weeks, things will improve significantly. But with um, the the situation Yellowknife's in, uh, the next days are really what's going to matter the most.
1: Yes, very dicey for folks up there. Evacuations continuing in the Hay River communities, for sure. Yellowknife also has a state of emergency. Scott, we really appreciate you. We covered a lot of different weather elements there. It's been a wild and wacky few days. Thank you very much for the time. You're welcome. Scott Killer, President and Chief Scientist at WeatherLogix, the meteorologist uh, we often turn to for analysis on days like this, uh, 365 days a year, it feels.
0: Yeah. yeah, and of course, Scott's company, they they dig deep for different uh, farmers and, and for other corporations where they are weather dependent. And so weather technology, weather information is such a valuable asset right now because of things happening. You know, we use that word unprecedented so often that it's becoming a cliche. But when things are unusual and have never happened or don't happen, Happened hardly ever. That word is almost impossible not to use. And of course, one of the most unprecedented actions and incidents on Manitoba Highways, the deadliest crash in the in the history of our province several weeks ago at the intersection of Highway One and Highway Five. Some changes coming to that and have actually already been installed at that intersection. But some of our listeners saying, look. We can do all we want, but the ultimate the ultimate solution at that intersection in many in our highways is not traffic signals. It's not speed bumps or rumble strips or warning signs. It's interchanges and overpasses.
1: Yeah, and I, I guess you could turn there and say that that is what, the ideal scenario. We all know each overpass costs hundreds of millions of dollars, but one of the listeners said, you know, we don't need to slow down the highways; they're meant for higher traffic speeds. Put in overpasses. The other, another listener said, overpasses or nothing. Everything else is a band-aid solution. But Jerry pointed out he was in Steinbach yesterday, or rather on Monday. Speed limit was 100. I'm guessing it was on Highway 12. Set his cruise at 107, and everyone passed me. Set it at 110. Everyone still passed him. So I mean, when when are we going to own up to the responsibility? Sure. We're meant to travel at certain speeds and certain roads, but we're never traveling at the speeds that we're told to travel at. Anyway, yeah, the post- you can point fingers and do this, do that, all you
0: want. Yeah, posted speed limits uh, mean almost nothing at certain times in certain places in our province, and I understand from RCMP the perimeter highway right now is just the scene of so many things. They just don't, and they just don't have the resources right now to enforce the way they would like to. So it's up to us to to follow the rules uh, best we can.